The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, guess what? We've made it to the hundredth episode. Finally, hit the triple digits. And uh, in light of that, I feel like it's a good time to uh, take a moment and read all of the five-star reviews that we received over the first year. So I apologize, this is a little bit delayed. Um, hopefully, going into year two, I'll be able to do this more often. But I wanted to make the, I want to take some time and just to be able to give a shout out to all the awesome people who have left great reviews along the way. So that being said, the first review comes from Boom Shakalaka. He says, "Fire." Off to a great start, bud. Keep them coming. Joe from LegitBat. The next one, shout out to uh, one of the regular listeners, Brian. Brian says, boom, just found you on the Hollow Sky Patreon. Keep up the good work, fam. Brian in central New York. Thanks for listening and thanks for being around, man. And I'm glad that you're still hanging around because uh, to be honest with you, I appreciate you hanging out, man. And we've become friends along the way. So uh, thanks, man. Thanks for all the support and all that you've done along the way. The next one comes from Angry Pawpaw, and they say, awesome show. This show is great. This guy goes down so many different avenues with every topic and just opens up a new world of questions with every question. Thank you, Angry Pawpaw. And uh, the next one is from Nico6456. Great show, great host, great guests, awesome topics. Keep it up. Can't wait for more episodes. The next one is from Adele. Great content. Absolutely love the deep dives. The next one is from Rhino144. Keep it up. Fire. The next one is from Justin MB, I believe is uh, what it's supposed to be getting at here. Uh, he says, awesome show. I love the show. It is awesome. This guy seriously does his research and knows his stuff. Listen to an episode or two and I guarantee you will hit the subscribe button. Well, thank you, my friend, and I appreciate your support. Uh, the next one comes from another regular listener, uh, Shane the Thinker. Shane is for real. I love this show. This guy makes scuba divers envious. He gets to the bottom of the Mariana Trench and has breakfast with water aliens. Well, as usual, man, thank you, Shane, and I appreciate you sticking around, my friend. Uh, the next one comes from Ransom011. Shane is the millennial offspring of Bigfoot. Imagine a hippie and a Bigfoot had a baby. That would be Shane. He's got the mystical and psychological powers of Bigfoot with the heart and style of a hippie. He traverses the realms with ease, stopping along the way to smell the flowers. You know which flowers I'm talking about. <laughs> he has an amazing podcast. He's a great host who asks the right questions. His guests are absolutely fire, and he works harder than most veteran podcasters. This guy's going places, and I love the bonus Big Dumb Inquiry shows. Always funny and always a good time. Keep it up. Well, uh, thank you, Ransom. The next one comes from Craig. 20 and back. That show blew my freaking mind. 
and I had to stop halfway through as it started triggering my own abduction memories too. Great interview, Shane, and thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate that, Craig, and uh, I can't wait to have you on in the future. The next one comes from Thicky Holden. They say, love your show. I love your show, which is why I gave you five stars, but can you please cut down your intros? You say, check this out, check this out, for six minutes before you say, now on to the show. It's exhausting. LOL, thanks. Well, as I'm sure that you've probably seen in a couple episodes previous to this, uh, I've tried to cut it down a little bit. Uh, I apologize. I'm trying to uh, do that stuff as fast as possible because I know it kind of becomes one of those regular things that drives you guys crazy. And unfortunately, this one isn't the right episode for that because it has kind of the uh, extended intro because of me reading off these reviews. But uh, I appreciate you leaving five stars, man. And uh, hopefully you enjoy the show going on in the future. Uh, The next one comes from JFSI70. Listen, definitely a great show. Shane is a cool dude and has some cool guests. And uh, getting to the last one here, and the most recent one, comes from uh, another awesome listener who has also become a friend, Brandy. My new favorite show. This one has quickly became my favorite podcast. Shane really has a way of making you think outside the box in every episode. I can't wait to see where all of this goes. Well, thank you, Brandy, and I appreciate you... uh, hopping on to the inquiries of our reality slash bizarre encounters crew. And uh, hopefully I can keep you uh, entertained in the future, but thank you for your support. Thank you all of you guys for your support and thank you for your, all of your five stars. Cause uh, without you guys, the show wouldn't be able to uh, get out and get seen by more people. So everything matters, everything counts. And I appreciate all of you guys support. And uh, just for shits and giggles, just because uh, there is one, one star review and why not read it on the show? It's from earphone eight, eight, eight. They say, bleh, unoriginal and bland. This podcast is just amateur. Well, to you earphones, if you ever start a podcast, please let me know what it is so that I can give you five stars and I can see how uh, professional your podcast is because, uh, you know, we're all out here. We're all just uh, doing our thing, um, you know, trying our hardest here. We're all just uh, amateurs at that to begin with. So, uh, you know, if you if you think that uh, my show is unoriginal and bland, I would love to see where your show is and... Uh, if it's so much better, I would love to give you five stars. So thank you for the one-star review, and uh, you're the best earphone, 888. And uh, with that, let's run through the front of house stuff as fast as we possibly can so we can get to this uh, awesome guest that I have for you guys today who is a researcher that I had the pleasure of meeting back at CryptidCon in November. But uh, yeah, let's get this stuff out of the way. Uh, if you guys don't mind leaving a review or rating or sharing the show, uh, always appreciate it. Uh, it's a good way to uh, help the show get seen and get more reach out to uh, some new listeners. Uh, If you're not already following on social media, if you want to get some updates on the show, that's one way to do it. Uh, If you want to pop on to the uh, Telegram or Discord and have some awesome conversations with some awesome people, then I recommend doing that. Uh, If anybody is interested in being a guest on the show, if you're an author, researcher, experiencer, uh, or just in depth into some crazy theories, man, I'd love to sit down and talk to any of you guys. So uh, don't be afraid to uh, shoot me a message or email me. Uh, that's probably the best means of communication. Um, most active on Instagram. Uh, secondary would be the email, and that's inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. If you haven't checked out Bizarre Encounters and you're into weird, bizarre phenomenon, I definitely recommend going and checking that out. Also, uh, Open Minds Media, if you guys want to keep an eye on uh, all the other new and interesting projects that I'm doing, that's the best way of doing so. Uh, If you want to support the show, you can always do that through Patreon. Uh, There you'll get early access to episodes, uh, access to live feeds of episodes, 
and uh, whatever else I end up deciding to add and play around with there because uh, the Patreon I'm still kind of playing around with, so maybe I'll find a good comfortable spot, but till then, it'll probably switch around frequently, so uh, I apologize, guys. And uh, if you'd like to donate to the show in a different way, you can always do that through Red Circle, Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal, uh, all those links available down at the bottom. Uh, if you want to support the show and get something for yourself, you can go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. There you'll find merch for all of the shows that I do. Uh, this one, Bizarre Encounters, Bite Size Bizarreties, Open Minds Media, Big Dumb Inquiries, any of those. Uh, go and check that out. It's all available all in one place. Try to make it quick and easy. If you're in the market for some more awesome merch, you can always go and check out the awesome designs that Joe's doing over there at Crypto Theology. Always adding new stuff, uh, all alien, cryptid, paranormal related. Always awesome. Definitely go check that out if you haven't already. And if you haven't, I'm sure that you've probably seen me post myself wearing some of the shirts because I am frequently always wearing those shirts because I do love crypto theology and all the designs. They're they're all cool. I can't I have trouble picking, honestly, when I go and get a new batch from there. But all the links that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree. Um, I can sit here and spit it off for you guys. Uh, but from now on, I think I might just tell you it's down in the bottom in the show description. So uh, go down there, check it out. Everything that I've mentioned, all available in one place. And with that, let's get into this awesome 100th episode spectacular welcome to the show author and researcher the paranormal road tripper zach bales how's it going today hey it's going great i appreciate you having me on the program absolute pleasure man had the pleasure of meeting you back at uh, CryptidCon. bought an awesome cast from you and i figured you'd be a fun person to have on the show and have a conversation with so here we are <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah we love CryptidCon. we get we meet a lot of uh a lot of interesting people, a lot of uh, passionate people about the same things that we're, we're passionate about ourselves. Yeah, man, I can't wait for next year. Are you planning on uh, going there next year too? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we've been uh, to CryptoCon for the last several years. We always try to make an appearance up there. I actually spoke at CryptoCon. Uh, this was this was not in 2022, but 2021. So hoping maybe to get the call up again. I think they try to rotate their guest speakers every now and then. But yeah, we love CryptoCon. It's, it's just... I feel like it gets bigger and bigger every year, and it's kind of reaffirming to see just how many people are interested in in this subject, in cryptids, and, and I, I usually call it the unusual, the unexplained, and the otherworldly. I feel like right now in particular, there's more of an audience for those three things, the unusual, the unexplained, and the otherworldly than ever before. So I like to see it growing. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And I would say I'm planning on even vending next year and I'm growing up everything too with as far as my show goes. I see a bunch more people coming into the community and just in general, being able to have these types of conversations. It was like one of those things that you only kind of talked about with certain people because you didn't want people to look at you funny. And it's just kind of getting to be a good point now where I feel like for the most part, you know, some people might kind of give you some funny looks, but you can talk about Sasquatch, you can talk about UFOs, paranormal, all that out in the open and people are a lot more accepting of it now, which... I mean, in, in the long run, definitely helps to push the research and actually going into a good point instead of uh, people hiding their research and being scared to tell other people what they figured out. Everybody's open about it. And we can actually start to kind of figure things out as far as the weird phenomenon in this world goes. You know, you're exactly right. I wrote a, I wrote a, a book about ghost hunting uh, about 15 years ago. And uh, at first I thought it was going to I, I, I figured it, for some people, it might make me kind of, it might other me, you know, people might be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, he wrote a book about ghosts. He must be kind of strange, you know, that sort of thing. You know, he's interested in strange things. But uh, I, I tell you what, the more people I talk to after I, I, I published that book, uh, the more, you know, uh, people that I would have expected would have maybe looked down upon that subject, the ones who kind of pull you aside and they lower their voice and they, 
Now, you're the one who wrote the book about ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> I need to tell you about something that happened to me. And I don't want to tell anybody else because I'm afraid people might look at me like I'm crazy. So I feel like my, my the thing I've realized out of more of this is that everybody has a story. You know, and I feel like the more comfortable people get talking about uh, these subjects, I feel like the the closer we are going to get to the truth because people are going to come out of the woodwork. And I think they are. I think they're continuing to come out of the woodwork uh, with their own stories, and their own experiences. And, and, yeah, it's nice to see events like CryptidCon. And, and there's so many that are popping up. I feel like they're, they're sprouting up all over the place, all over the really this region of the country um, uh, every every year. Um, that's what this this time of year, me and my wife, we uh, like you said, we, we call ourselves the paranormal road trippers. And we um, uh, we are right now looking at uh, kind of cementing our conference and festival schedule for the year. And it just there there's just so many. It's hard sometimes to uh, to visit as many as you'd like. And uh, unfortunately, all too often, sometimes they're the same weekend. I think uh, two of the very biggest conferences this year, uh, every year, uh, Bigfoot conferences are the first weekend of May, uh, they're right on top of each other, two a state away, you know, two states away from each other. But it's, it's, it's a shame that, uh, that that sort of thing happens, but I guess it's unavoidable. I was going to say, it's a small enough community that I feel like if people coordinated a little bit with each other, maybe we could figure it out. But it's also one of those things too, that it's so spread out between states that it's like, you want to go to all these different events, but you look into the map, one's 10 hours this direction, one's eight hours this direction. So you kind of have to like pick and choose as much as you don't want to, because all the events sound amazing. The speakers are always different rotating people. They're always talking about new topics. It's like, you almost feel like you're missing out by not getting to go to all of them. Yeah, see, we're based out of Kentucky, and uh, we're we're not too far a drive. I always, I'm always telling my wife, you know, we're lucky to be kind of, I consider it to be centrally located to a lot of to a lot of these uh, festivals and conferences, and, and just right here, and just a state away from so many of these different events. And I count it kind of as a blessing, really. We uh, we were in California a few summers back, talking to a gentleman up there. He runs a a, a cryptid themed. Uh, store. Uh, I'll just put it like that in, in Northern California. And he, uh, he was sort of lamenting the idea that if he wanted to attend certain festivals, uh, you know, it's eight, 10 hour drive to get to one. And uh, that's really only like one or two on that whole part of the country. Whereas here in the Eastern you know, coast, we're, we're, I guess, blessed with so many and just a hop, skip and a jump down the road. I was going to say, you were making a comment about being right in the center, and it seems like, yeah, you are pretty much right in the center. You get some that kind of tail off into Illinois, Indiana. seems like the heart of it is like in Kentucky and everything. It's a little bit that goes south, but yeah, you got perfect geographical location to hit a little bit of everything. But uh, kind of getting into it a little bit, uh, you made a, a reference to your first book that you made. Um, I'd like to you know, kind of cover the different topics of all the books that you've written through the years, and uh, what exactly inspired you to write each of these books too along the way? Well, I tell you what, I've always been interested in, well, two things. I've always been interested in ghost stories and legends and, uh, you know, things that go bump in the night. Uh, Kentucky, where I'm from, is, is no, is, has no short supply of uh, ghost stories and uh, all sorts of funny stuff. I, I refer to this part of, the, of this country here that I, I live in as the Bluegrass Triangle. Uh, just because of the wealth of just strange phenomena that took place in this particular region. Well, this is where I grew up, you know, born and raised right in the heart of this. And uh, so I, you didn't have to ask around too much to, to find stories and, and ghost stories and, and things. And of course, things like that, uh, 
and uh, people are quick to tell that sort of stuff to you as you're growing up in a community like this. So I always had an interest in that, but I also had an interest in in writing. Uh, I'm an English person. That was that's what I went to uh, college for is English education, and I'm actually an English teacher uh, down here in Kentucky. And uh, you know, we're always promoting a high school English teacher, I should say, and we're always trying to promote literacy. And uh, you know, once the kids got to once they got they learned that their teacher was into ghosts and uh, kind of moonlighted as a, as a ghost hunter. They were always wanting me to tell stories and come to cool teacher. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I know I did this when I was in high school as well, that te- kids know just what to say to get their teacher off track. You know, they, they know, you know, we can push this button and, and then we can pretty much close their textbooks for the day because we managed to get him talking about his or her interest. Well, you know, I started getting wise to this. And like I said, we, you know, we're always trying to push uh, literacy. So I, I decided, you know what, instead of just telling the kids these stories, I ought to write these stories, these down, the, the stories that happened to me and not just, not just stories that happened to me, not just experiences I've had, but also sort of the local folklore, you know, local, regional Kentucky folklore. So I started pinning these stories down. And when kids would ask me in class, like, you know, Mr. Bales, tell us a, tell us a story. It's Friday afternoon. Tell us a story. I, I could be able to try, I could turn it on them and say, well, no, how about, how about you read, you know, this story. And, 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 uh, it was a way, it was a way to create a forum of, as I said, you know, it promoted a little literacy, but it also, I feel like made some of the students more comfortable about telling their own stories. And, uh, that's some, that's where I've gotten some of the most interesting, most interesting things, uh, over the years or, or heard the most interesting tales and, and, I think it's a, it's a noble pursuit to sort of keep folklore alive. That that's that's kind of the main thing that I, I'm about more than maybe even anything else is is these stories are important uh, to the people who tell them, but they're also important regionally. Uh, I call it a, it's a shared identity. You know, I feel like people, I feel like people, and you know, in this day and age especially, and you know, 2023, I feel like politics driving people apart. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that just drive and push people apart. I feel like the one thing, a lot of ways you can see eye to eye with the people around you is, is the, is the folklore. It's one thing that everybody has in common. Everybody knows the tales of, uh, of your community. And so it's a, it's a uniting type thing. So I, I think it's important to keep those things alive, to keep the stories alive. So that's kind of how I got into this stuff in a roundabout way. I'm sorry if I rambled there. Oh no, you're good. But uh, kind of getting more into uh, you know some of the experiences and some of the stories that you were uh, mentioning, I'd love to hear some of the uh, experiences that you've had, and you know some of the most memorable stories possibly that you've heard from students in particular, or you know just random people that you met along the way. Well, I, I uh, there was there's been multiple Civil War battles fought in the state of Kentucky, and uh, that was kind of where I got my start. Was there's there's one in the community I come from. I come from Somerset, Kentucky, uh, which is uh, South Central. Um, kind of the foothills of Appalachia, sort of the uh, foothills of the eastern Kentucky coalfields. And uh, the, there's a Civil War battle fought here. And for years, there was uh, rumors that the, the battlefield itself was, was haunted. And uh, so when I first started getting into ghost hunting, that was the very first place I went. And uh, it kind of spun out of there. Like I said, this particular area of the 
country is in no short supply of, of, of ghost, ghostly activity or purported ghostly activity, that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, we're also home here in Kentucky to arguably the most haunted location in the world, Waverly Hills Sanatorium. It's the, uh, the famous tuberculosis hospital up in Louisville. That's just down the road, kind of, from where I live, a couple hours north of here. Uh, and I, I'd always wanted to spend the night there. And, and like I said, you know, the more I got into it and the more invested I got, I, I, I started reaching out to these places and spending the night in these places. And I tell you what, more times than not, at the end of the night, I would, I would go in with an open mind. And I always tried to have an open but a skeptical mind. I, I didn't allow myself ever to get swept up in the, the heat of the moment. I feel like sometimes that happens. You know, you put yourself in a, a purportedly haunted location, you, and sometimes you, sometimes you want to believe. I, I can't help but feel like uh, that, that, that sometimes hits investigators. And I did want to believe, but at the same time, I tried to stay a little skeptical. But I tell you what, more times than not, in my early days of hunting ghosts, I would leave the, the investigation with a lot more questions than, uh, than answers. Um, over the years, I, we, we've, we've recorded all sorts of interesting uh, photographic evidence, video evidence. Uh, I tell you what, interestingly enough, from my students uh, at school, they have kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, I guess if I'm trying to put this, I'm trying to think about how to word this, I guess. I, I guess I've amassed a collection of objects over the years that are supposed to be uh, to be haunted. A lot of those have come from my students uh, in my class at, at school, people from our community. When word kind of got out that uh, I was interested in this stuff, uh, people came out of the woodwork, like I said, and they would say things like, uh, you know, I've got something in my attic kind of an object that's been up there. I, I inherited it from, you know, my grandmother or grandfather. And uh, it's been acting up lately and we don't want it anymore. And we figured you might be the person who might take it off our hands and put it away. And uh, actually that's, uh, I, I have a whole collection of a whole room here um, in my kind of my property here that, that I have dedicated to a number of objects that are uh, kind of spooky. I'll be the first to admit they're kind of spooky, but um, uh they, they have a haunted history of them. For example, for example, my wife works at a, a hospital here in the, in the town that I live. And she had a she has a coworker over there uh, who and I, I need to mention this first, does not believe in ghosts. This coworker does not believe in ghosts. Well, uh, this lady, uh, she her grandmother passed away and she inherited uh, upon her grandmother's death a pair of porcelain dolls. Uh, they're colonial era looking dolls, very old, uh, fragile uh, well, I mean, she was tickled by this. Uh, it was a nice memento from her from her grandmother uh, to, you know, have this piece of her. And she brought him back to her house. Again, this woman does not, or I should say did not, believe in ghosts. Well, almost immediately upon getting these porcelain dolls in her house, her children, young children, started complaining to their mother that the dolls were moving around in the night. <laughs> well, it's... Uh, this lady, she uh, didn't believe in ghosts, and so she didn't believe her kids. She thought they were just, you know, overactive imagination. Kids will be kids, that sort of thing. But they were just telling their mother stories, and she kind of threatened them. She said, if you all don't, you know, shape up, uh, I'll give you all a whipping. You know, that sort of thing, because you don't want to be lying to your, to your mother. Well, this went on and on and on, you know, every few nights. Mom, last night, the dolls were moving around the house. Um, every time the mother said, no, no, no. Well, eventually... A couple months passed. And then she was telling my wife all this. Uh, she said, uh, the kids came to her and they said, mom, the dolls are, they're hurting us. And, and. They say how know, they're hurting them? 
What is it? I'm sorry. Did they say how they were hurting them? Yes, they did. She, they said, are the dolls are hurting us? And the mother said, what do you mean? And the kids supposedly pulled down their sleeves and all up and down the wrists and arms were just nail marks, like something had been tearing into their skin. And oddly enough, the little fingers on the porcelain dolls matched just perfectly with those <laughs> scratch marks up and down the little boy and the little girl's arms. Well, that was the last straw uh, for this woman who at that point did not believe in ghosts. Suddenly she did believe in ghosts. She threw those two dolls into a black garbage bag, plastic garbage bag, put them in the backseat of her car and she took them to work because she knew that my wife, you know, worked there. She knew me and my wife were interested in this sort of stuff. And we've had them in our, in our collection ever since. Uh, we keep a very close eye on all of these things, but, uh, well, yeah, it, it's kind of turned into a, a pretty, pretty expansive collection, um, over the years, we continue to get these things, um, all the time. So I guess I, I can't help but think that, uh, you know, at this point I, I have to be a believer, uh, with the sheer number of people who've come and, and given these things and told these stories and things that I've seen. I, I definitely am a believer in, in this phenomenon. Is the that what what kind of led into you eventually opening up your uh, museum? That was that was uh, yes in 2022 last year last uh, fall uh, we opened a um, exhibit here in or I shouldn't say exhibit I call it Paranormal Road Tripper which is what we go by Paranormal Road Trippers Nightmare Gallery and it is a collection of all sorts of strange unusual things uh, the kind of not just ghostly stuff. Yes, all of the objects that I was just referring to, they are all on display uh, with information about the different legends and how they have come into my possession over the years. But we also have plenty of, of things in there about, uh, you know, Bigfoot history. Uh, Kentucky has got a lot of weird stuff. UFO history. There's a lot of UFO history um, all over the state of Kentucky. Literally 30 miles north of, of my home uh, was the site of one of the most significant UFO abduction cases in the history of, of the United States. Uh, Stanford, Kentucky, 1976, three ladies were on their way back from uh, dinner one night. And, uh, well, they uh, claimed that a bright light kind of beamed down on their car, uh, a la like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, if you've uh, ever seen that film. And uh, next thing they know, they were losing consciousness. They woke up you know, hour later, eight miles down the road and they were inside of the road in a ditch. And man, the stories they told after that were like the stuff of legend of, uh, you know, one of the ladies referred to her eyeball. She remember her eyeballs being taken out and laid down on the sides of her cheeks and her and her so they could get back into her brain, I guess, to probe her brain. Um, but the stories were just wild. And it made our local newspaper here in in Somerset, Kentucky. But the story quickly spread. It made national, international news. And like I said, it's one of it's right up there with the Betty and Barney Hill incident. It's one of the most significant UFO abductions uh, that ever was. And the ladies all, you know, they 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 never broke the story. They never the story never changed in the fifty years since that happened. Uh, they they went to their graves uh, saying, "This is what happened that night. This was the night it happened, and this is what happened." And uh, they never they never aired, you know, on that. So it's just. I don't know, it's fat, but yeah, it was just 30 minutes up the road from here. So again, I feel like this this part of Kentucky that I live in has a has a strange history of 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 this type of activity. And that's another reason why, yes, we did open a uh, a gallery here to sort of keep those stories, you know, alive, if you will. So uh kind of branching into your research into UFO and cryptid related things, um 
was it a branch from you feeling that there was a connection with the paranormal to those topics or did, was it more so just the collection of stories and having so much in your area that you kind of just you start collecting paranormal and then it quickly branches into ufo and uh cryptid stuff just because of just the interest in the bizarre I, I think it was more of, of the, the latter, what you just said. I, I, I don't necessarily, I, I don't want to criticize people who believe that there's a connection between uh, all of these fields. You know, far be it for me to try to criticize someone. I mean, there's some great presentations. Um, Ron Moorhead, for example, uh, le- legend in, in Bigfooting, he makes a compelling case. Uh, if you've ever had a chance to listen to him speak, he makes a compelling case about there being a, a connection between, uh, you know, a Bigfoot and interdimensionality and, and sort of, uh, you know, the, I mean, it's, it's a compelling argument. I've not necessarily seen or heard or anything necessarily to make me believe or, uh, you know, I don't fall necessarily into that camp. Uh, but I, I feel like it was the stories that, uh, that, that kind of interested me more than anything else. Uh, another thing kind of in the community I live, uh, there's a, there's a place called Keno and, uh, it's, it's in the South part of the County that I, I'm from. And, and I tell you, growing up, the, every, all the kids in my high school always talked about the Keno monster. There's like a bridge over a, a railway track. And, and they always said, you know, we always heard for like the last 75 years, in, in South Central Kentucky, that there's a there's a big hairy Bigfoot like creature that's supposed to sort of roam the valley underneath that underneath that bridge. And uh, you know, many nights when I was in high school, college, I found myself down there, kind of kind of creeping around. And I feel like that may have been one of the precursors that got me into the uh, to the legend of Bigfoot. And I don't know. I always tell people. I feel like the Pacific Northwest they like to say, you know, Bigfoot's our thing. Uh, they, they, they always say, you know, it's Bigfoot country. You know, you don't have to go too far in California, Oregon, or Washington. And you see these these billboards that say, welcome to Bigfoot country. Uh, and, you know, they say they have all the sightings of him out there or him or her out there. But if you really look into the history of, of the Bigfoot phenomenon, I mean, Daniel Boone himself, as he was crossing Appalachia, you know, crossing the Cumberland Gap, he, he claimed, uh, according to biographers, he claimed to have seen a big, hairy, Bigfoot-like creature. I think he at the time referred to it as a Yahoo, uh, which was a Native American word at the time for uh, for these types of creatures. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a matter of the of the, the record uh, that the, some of the earliest Bigfoot sightings um, by settlers in in this uh, continent was uh, was in Appalachia. So I always kind of smile. I feel like when uh, when they when they claim Bigfoot as a West Coast thing, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if that is entirely true. I'll just put it like that. I mean, there's so many side variations to take into consideration, too. And assumably, like most things, they kind of adapt to the environment that they're living in. So, you know, you have the generic, like what everybody thinks of as Sasquatch over on uh, over on the other on the West Coast. But then you come over to the East Coast and then you got things like the skunk apes, which kind of fit for the where they're living at, that they're a little bit smaller. They give off that putrid smell. And then, you know, going into Australia, you got the Yowie. And I mean, that sounds pretty similar to the Yahoo almost seems like, uh, you know, there may have been a connection pretty close between those two names. And then, you know, going into the Himalayas, you got the Yeti. So I don't know why somebody could necessarily hold it specifically to the West Coast, considering that it's kind of, it's a little bit everywhere international, just different variations of the same kind of thing, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. And, uh, 
I mean, they've been seen in, in just about every state of uh, the United States, these, these types of creatures. So, um, you know, regardless of habitat, like you said, and in, in the Florida Everglades, you know, there's all sorts of unusual sightings. Big Cypress National Preserve down there. There's seems like there's a sighting that comes out of there, gosh, every at least every few months uh, or so. Um, we had a chance to visit the, the Skunk Ape Research Center. It's down in Ochopee, Florida. A guy named Dave Sheely runs it, and he's kind of the the godfather of uh, of the skunk ape. I guess I'll put it. I guess that's one way to put it. Um, but he's uh, he's quite a character. But yeah, he's got a video, and he's found all sorts of all sorts of footprints. He's got a set of these casts down there that are, but they're different than the kind of casts that you see in. Uh, you know, uh, like the Patterson Gimlin cast. I, which cast was it you purchased uh, from us? Uh, Gray Harbor. Gray Harbor. Okay, yep. yeah, that one's a, that's, that's my favorite. Uh, but the cast in Florida looks so much different. I, it's 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 got fewer toes, uh, and uh, I, he swears down there. Uh, Sheely, Dave Sheely does. He swears that the skunk ape lives in lives in trees. Um, in the Everglades, uh, like cypress trees. And uh, that would make sense to be able to stay out of the swamp for a bit too. Well, yeah, there you go. And I mean, I've never heard any other researchers in the, any that I've spoken to around any other parts of the country really, you know, say, well, the big, you know, Bigfoot or, or Sasquatch, you know, lives in, in trees. So, so, you know, it makes sense that there might be an offshoot or, or some other, you know, something else going on down there. I mean, the Honey Island Swamp Monster, I, I always, fascinated by that tale as well and, and i don't know i should i i'm gonna i'll stop i was about to criticize the legend of the honey island swamp monster but um i don't i i've done a lot of research into some of these i was writing a book about three years ago i wrote a book called the bigfooters atlas and it, it kind of to create the book i i i created a series of maps that would it would take uh someone interested in these these stories to a lot of the hot spots from some like the skunk ape, for example. We we my wife spent some time down in Florida Everglades trying to find exact pinpoint the exact locations where the famous sightings of the skunk ape had had, had taken place. Uh, most of them were localized on Turner River Road uh, down there in the in Big Cypress. Well, the Honey Island Swamp Monster that of course is you know a little ways from Florida. It's over in uh, Louisiana, uh, just north of. Oh, Slidell, Louisiana, uh, the Pearl River Wildlife Management Area is is kind of where the, the Honey on Swamp Monster is, is supposed to take place. But the more we kind of turned over stones and not literally, but we're kind of looking into the story, the more we realized that the, the legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster is sort of, it doesn't really follow the facts. Uh, you know, the, the legend is that a train, like a circus train had had sort of come off the rails and, and some animals had escaped and they had interbred into the, into the, I guess the, the bayou. And, and, but there was a circus train that did crash uh, like same time that the legends, but it was 150 miles from Honey Island Swamp, nowhere near Honey Island Swamp. And I don't know, the more we looked into it, the more it was kind of like, okay, maybe some of these urban legends sort of came together to, to, uh, I don't know, come out of it, but. That's and the honey Island say, like a fishtail almost that as time yes. goes on, everybody kept adding to it. And there's different little pieces that were interesting. And as time goes on, people forget, you know, the distance of time between these different events happening. And they all just kind of blend together as being around the same time. And then they all become part of the same story, unfortunately. Yes. And a lot of the honey Island swamp monster footprints that have been discovered, uh, look an awful lot like alligator footprints to me, but I don't know. I, I'm being, 
I'm being cynical, but uh, I don't know. I mean, take it for what it's worth. I mean, people have seen some strange things down there, and that can't be argued. Uh, and far be it for me to to criticize anything that someone's uh, seen. So. So on all of your travels that you've done, because it seems like you kind of move around, that's kind of where the name Paranormal Road Tripper and stuff comes from. Uh, assumably, you've had some of your own experience, be it paranormal, cryptid, maybe even UFO related. Um, if you got some of those experiences, I'd definitely love to hear them, and I'm sure the listeners would too. Uh, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you about uh, my encounter with. I can tell you some ghost. I can tell you some ghost stories. I can tell you. Uh, I, I've encountered things that I would consider to be cryptozoological based, including Bigfoot. Uh, I've also seen uh, some unusual lights in the sky. It just depends on which one you want to hear. Well, I guess uh, we can cover all bases with the most interesting of all three. Give everybody a little taste of all oh. three. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, see, I have a, t- I have a, I have a bad habit of, of my stories <laughs> becoming. Uh, okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my 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 Bigfoot story. How about this? Um, I got into to. The paranormal 2005 was kind of when I really launched into this sort of stuff. And uh, the year was 2009. I got a call from a friend of mine and uh, he said, he said, Zach, you're not going to believe this. He said, I saw something the other night that I, I can't explain. Uh, he said, the only thing I can really describe it as is, is Bigfoot. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, where did this happen? Uh, he said, well, it's about an hour. It's about an hour. My friend of mine named Richard, he said, it's an hour from where he and I lived. Uh, there's a Green River is is the is one of the main rivers that flows through Kentucky is, is, is Green River. Uh, and he, he said, I was kind of at the source of the river uh, in, in western Kentucky. And uh, my family and I were, we went out to, to do a little camping and uh, we pulled up at this, uh, it was a duck preserve that they spent the night on. They pitched a tent, they built a campfire, they did their whole little roasting marshmallows, roasting hot dogs there. And, uh, you know, night fell on uh, the banks of Green River there. And as the night wore on, he said they started hearing some noises. And it was his, him and his wife and his two kids. Well, he said late at night, you know, the noises were enough to kind of creep him out a little bit, but it was closing in on midnight. They were sitting around making, you know, cooking marshmallows and, and they heard something bounding through the woods on the other side of of the river it sounded like whole he said quote unquote it sounded like whole trees were falling out of the earth like something was pushing its way through the through the the brush and uh he had a flashlight so he shined it across the creek and he said it fell upon what he could only describe as 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 bigfoot you know a big tall hairy uh monster and uh, he said almost immediately his wife and kids were like, okay, we've seen enough. Let's go. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Let's go. We're, we were supposed to camp out here for the night. And they said, no, no, no. I think we better go. So he, when he called me, he said, yeah, this happened the other day. And he said, you know, I, I can honestly say Bigfoot ruined my, it ruined my family vacation. <laughs> it ruined their weekend uh, because my kids were too scared to stay out there. Well, I had one question uh, for the guy. My question was, now, where did this happen? Exactly. And, and he said, well, it was this duck preserve here in, in South Central, South Western Kentucky. And I said, uh, and I had him tell me exactly where it was. Uh, Cause again, I, when I hear stories like this, I, I want to experience it for myself. I have to see, I can't just believe without seeing, um, seeing is believing, you know, as they mm-hmm. say. So I, I wanted to see for myself. So I, I called up my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. I said, 
I just got off the phone with Richard. I said, you know, Richard. And she said, yeah. And I said, he went camping this past week. I told her the whole story. And she said, well, that's really scary. And I said, yeah. Well, he told me exactly where it happened. And she said, well, that's cool. And I could hear a little reservation in her voice. <laughs> that's where we're going, cool. honey. <laughs> yeah, I said, well, you know, I don't know what your plans are this weekend. She says, oh, my gosh. Surely you don't intend to go over there after that. And I said, you know. Yeah, of course I am to go away. We gotta we gotta see for ourselves. So after a little more convincing, um, she finally agreed. We threw everything into the backseat of her vehicle and you know what the tent and chairs and, and hot dogs and the whole nine yards, and we decided to go camping ourselves the very next weekend. So we went over here and I I mean it was it's a, it, as I said, it's a duck preserve near the source of Green River. Uh, it's pretty far off the beaten path. This 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 particular place, gravel roads, a series of uh, like a maze of gravel roads to get out to this particular location. And when we were finally there, uh, I knew we were there because it was exactly like he had described, sort of a off the gravel road that kind of opening down into kind of the uh, the river itself. Um, and we pitched our tent. And I was not in two thousand nine. I was not a Bigfoot investigator. I'm not necessarily sure if like. I'm an adept big, Bigfoot investigator today. I'm not really sure that I have all of the skills, but I, I knew I knew just enough to be dangerous back then. Maybe I'd like done a quick Google search before going. I knew like tree knocks were kind of a thing, you know, knock on trees. And the theory is that, uh, well, I mean, it's more than a theory uh, that primates sometimes communicate over long distances by pounding on trees. So I, I was so familiar with the idea of tree knocking, whooping, you know, into the, uh, you know, whoop, whoop, whoop. Into the, I, I'd seen that, I guess, on on one of the shows as well. But I also brought with me that night because I'd, I'd read somewhere that this was a good strategy as well, like canned food items, uh, really smelly canned food items. You, know, you might be able to like bait, like something like Bigfoot or I guess really any animal into you, wherever you want to bait him into. If you, if you put these, these canned food items out. So I brought all sorts of like really smelly uh, baby food, you know, around and, and by golly, we set up a tent uh, there at green river. And I put these, I put the baby food out and the night fell on, on, on green river. And we had our fire going and we cooked marshmallows and we know for, for hours, we, we tried to sort of, I mean, it's creepy too. I can't stress that enough. You know, as the sun went down, we're far from the beaten path and, and not a light for miles, you know, except for our, our firelight. And uh, your mind starts playing tricks on, you know, I kept thinking, you know, maybe Richard was, maybe his mind was playing tricks on him. Maybe he didn't see what he thought he saw, but then I remembered one other four of them. And they all saw it. So, and so I'm trying to do mental gymnastics into trying to keep myself from getting too scared, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, so the night wears on, we're doing tree knocks, you know, and nothing's happening. There's just not, no responses whatsoever. We're, well, I'm whooping into the woods. You know, I feel like a fool. I've never done this stuff before in my life. So I, I kind of feel like a fool and there's no responses coming either. And uh, hours go on. We tell some good campfire tales. It's getting near midnight probably at this point. Uh, and, I start to think uh, it was a bust. I start to think that nothing's. Ha I mean, we went right into the right into an unnotable place where this side of things happen, and there's nothing going on. So I'm starting to starting to fret, starting to think maybe there's nothing to it. And we actually let her fire die, and and my wife and I really disappointed went in our, our tent and 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 went to sleep for the night. But about three hours later. It's about three in the morning. Um, 
Now, and get, don't get me wrong. I'm a heavy sleeper. I'm the kind of guy that I, I don't wake up uh, seldom. Like I've slept through fire alarms before. I just do not wake up. If I wake up, something's wrong. Usually, uh, I, I don't. I, I can't explain it. I don't know if it's sixth sense or what. But I, when I wake up, I know. Okay, something's woken me up. Something's off. And and when I I woke up that night. Green River, about three in the morning, about three hours after we went to sleep, our fire has completely died out at this point. And it was, uh, it was early November and it was kind of chill. It was very chilly outside. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there, I'm sitting in my sleeping bag and, and I wake up and I can feel the hair on the back of my neck sort of stand up, uh, because I don't wake up like that. And I start thinking, you know, why did you wake up? And, and suddenly I, I just have this bad feeling, you know, in my stomach, like my stomach's in a knot and I'm like something is wrong. And, and the next thing I know, I've got, I'm starting to sweat. Yeah, I'm starting to sweat and I'm thinking something is wrong. And then I think, okay, I was on my side and I'm thinking, okay, my wife, again, th then she's my girlfriend, you know, she's over here beside me. I need to, I need to check on her. So I start to roll over and I, I'm rolling over real careful because I don't want to wake her up uh, just for my foolishness. So, you know, I, I'm sort of really carefully rolling over. And I, when I, I turn, I, I, I'm, I turned to her. That's when I realized that she was already awake too. <laughs> Not only that, but she was sitting bolt upright in her sleeping bag. And there was a look on her face, the likes I have never seen or had never seen up to that point. And I'm not sure if I've ever seen that particular look since I'm talking. It was a look of, 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 of just terror. Uh, just absolute terror. And she was staring at me. I mean, you could see even in the darkness that her face was just, just pale as a, as, as a ghost. And, and she was, she was trembling. She was trembling. Now, don't get me wrong. It was chilly out that night, but I could, I, I felt like I could tell a difference. This wasn't trembling from the cold. This was kind of trembling was from something else. And, and I, immediately I've got chills just right now thinking about this. Immediately I, I started to say, Melissa, what's wrong? You know, I, 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 I mean, I, I thought suddenly I was starting to tremble too, seeing such a such a disturbing side. And I, I start to say, Melissa, and I, maybe I get the m out of my mouth, and her finger darts to her her mouth like this, and she's like shh, but she doesn't go shh. She's real silent, you know, silent. And I I cut off dead, you know, and I, I'm thinking, why is she why is she shushing me? Uh, he out here in the in the and that's when I hear heard the crash on the other side of of, of Green River. And, and then I heard another crash and then another crash. And the only thing I could even think to describe it as was exactly what my friend Richard had said. Sounded like whole trees were sort of coming out of the ground. Something was brushing, busting through uh, the foliage on the other side of the, of the other side of the, of the river. So I froze and I'm staring at her and she's staring at me. I'm thinking, what is that? Now at the time, and this is important, Kentucky was going through a drought uh, we just didn't get a lot of rain there. Uh, it was a kind of historic drought we were going through. And Green River went from being a pretty mighty river to a pretty shallow river. And the source of the river where we were at that night was about 12 inches deep. And that's why I wasn't necessarily surprised when I heard from the other bank a splash. And I realized that whatever it was, it was bursting through these trees and has now stepped into the river. And then I heard another splash. And I heard another splash and then splash. And my heart's starting to race. I'm thinking, why is it in the river? And I realize it's not only in the river, but it sounds like it's coming toward, toward our side. It's coming across 
the river towards us. I hear splash, splash. And each time these things are growing like louder and I realize it's getting closer and I'm frozen just, just staring at my wife and, and thinking, what are we going to do? And, and suddenly I hear splash, splash and then crunch, crunch. And I realize it's now on the bank where we were camping and we all are in like a blue nylon tent. You know, I'm starting to think, my God, on the other side of this blue nylon is some sort of, of wild animal. And I kid you not, I would swear up and down to my grave. It sounded like this thing was on two legs. This wasn't a deer. This was something big and it was on two legs as it crossed that river. Suddenly I hear another noise. And it sounds like this. And I realized it's it's smelling something. I said, what's it smelling? And then I remembered the, those damn canned food items. I realized I had put those canned food items all around our encampment. And I picked the ones that were really pungent. And I realized, oh my gosh, I've baited this thing into our campsite. And then I was kicking myself saying, why didn't you put these down the creek? You know, down the river. Why didn't you put them anywhere? Why did you put like six or 12 of these things just like in a big circle right around where you're going to sleep? It was like, I was, it was like the greatest folly. Like, what were you thinking? Cause I heard it crunch, crunch, and then sniff, sniff, sniff. And I could tell it was passing from you know, each of these little, these little glass jars, these Gerber jars or whatever they were, I'm sure it was a little Dollar Tree <laughs> baby <laughs> food, you know, it's going from one to the other. And I realized, man, oh man, I just hope this thing doesn't get as, you know, smell of, smell of us. About this time, I remember I had, a, I brought a firearm. I brought a Glock with us and uh, I realized I, I, I ought to go for it, you know, just in case. And and I realized it was at the foot of my sleeping bag. And I, you know, I take my hand and I'm just real careful. And my wife sees me and she's like, shh, no, don't make any noise. Don't make any noise. Because every time I move it, the, the sleeping bag's kind of ruffling. And so I'm real careful, real slowly, real quietly, reaching and reaching and reaching for that, for that, for that Glock. And about the time, you know, my hand is on the, on the, on the grip of the thing. I hear that the, the thing turns and crunch, crunch, crunch. And I realize that it's come over and now it's taking a good long look at our blue nylon tent. I realize that whatever this is, it's given up on the baby food. And, and I'm telling you, it's sniffing and I can hear it sniffing down on our tent because we're sitting here on the ground. I'm looking up and I can hear it's right outside there, something big. And I'm reaching for that gun and my wife's saying, don't make any noise. And she's starting to like tear up and cry. And I'm wanting to tear up and cry. And, and, and about that time, that's when it roared. Now I've heard a lot of unusual things in my life. A lot of things on these paranormal trips and whatnot. I've never heard anything like this. The, 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 the noise that this thing made, it was a roar that would wake your ancestors. I woke mine up. It roared down on that tent. It was the kind of roar that like would keep you up at night. I know that because it's kept me up many nights since. It was a, it was a roar I've looked into for years. I'm telling you what, I've looked for 
every kind of animal noises in Kentucky. I've went on YouTube videos and just I've listened and listened and listened and tried to find this roar and I just can never find it again. Whatever that was, it roared down on our tent. It roared down on our campsite, down on Green River. It was the kind of roar that you'll never forget because I never have. And uh, and it, it should, I've got chills right now again just thinking about this and it's something i've never forgotten and i froze as soon as it did that and i realized my god the only thing separating us from this is that blue nylon and me and my wife we stared at each other and seconds turned into minutes as we heard that thing crunch crunch and it started to head out of our encampment there was a gravel road we came in on we heard it crunch walk across that gravel road there was a kind of an old cornfield uh that was there i say old because it hadn't been reaped even in november not sure what that was about but uh it, we heard it kind of brushing through that cornfield and we waited until we could no longer hear it it may have been a mile away before we quit hearing this thing and even after that for about 10 or 15 minutes i stood there sitting up in my sleeping bag looking at her she stood there or sat there sitting up in her sleeping bag staring at me with one my hand on the grip of that pistol and we just staring at each other both of us trembling both of us sweating both of us pale and i'd like to say we had the courage to stick out the rest of the night again it was like three three or four in the morning at this point, uh, but we didn't. We got our stuff, we threw it in our car and we beat out of there as fast as we possibly could. I still kick myself. Again, I wasn't an expert. I wasn't even an amateur at this point. I didn't even know, I didn't even think about looking for like footprints on the ground there at Green River. I, I, I just, well, that wasn't the foremost thing on my mind. It's embarrassing. To admit that, you know, it's embarrassing to say that I wasn't like the seasoned Bigfoot investigator that should have been doing that sort of thing. But we threw everything in that car. And we got out of there as quickly as we could. Uh, I've referred to this creature ever since as the Green River Monster. Uh, that's all I really can, because it was on the banks of Green River that we, we encountered this thing. Uh, I know of at least us, and there's been a handful of other people who've encountered this over the years as well. Uh, Green River goes between Adair County, Kentucky, and Columbia all the way to Spotsville, Kentucky. There's a fellow up there. His name's Barton Nunnally. He claims that this creature's, he calls the creature the Spotsville monster. He claims that it goes all the way the length of the Green River. Um, I've talked to people from all over the country who have been vacationing on the lakes. Of Kentucky's got some, some lakes that, that get a lot of traffic, a lot of heavy traffic from uh, boaters and whatnot. Well, I've, I've talked to uh, many people who've encountered a creature like this, all in the in the vicinity of Green River Lake, Lake Cumberland, uh, Barren River Lake, all these areas that sort of intermingle with uh, with Green River. And uh, the stories are all the same. And uh, it always makes me wonder what would I've seen if I had opened that, if I had opened that uh, nylon tent that night. And I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. And I'm, I, I may still not be sleeping all these years later if I had. <laughs> I don't know. Makes you it makes you think about the world in a different way, I guess. Having that kind of experience, it kind of made me after the fact sort of I don't know. And you go out into nature, you start to you start to wonder, I guess. That's just what I'll that's how I'll put it. I was gonna say that uh especially after having an experience like that, it 
everything happens for a reason as far as like how I kind of see things. So if that experience didn't happen in the way that it did, it probably wouldn't have pushed you into researching it the way that you did. And even going back to you being not as seasoned at that time, if you were seasoned, you may not have done the same things and then you may not have had that same type of experience. You know, like even if you moved the stuff away from your camp and it was down the river and you were sleeping in the middle of the night, you know, there could have been something right next to you and you wouldn't have known. So I almost feel like, you know, as horrifying as that experience was, you know, you guys made it out safe and you survived to tell the tale. So, you know, it all happened for a reason. Yeah. Well, and that, that there, there may be a, there may be a lot of truth in the idea that if you know too much about something, uh, that you might not make the same mistakes that I, I like that idea, what you just said, that maybe, maybe making the mistakes sort of, uh, led us into an experience that we may never be able to replicate again. I am, I have not had a Bigfoot experience or that type of experience uh, in that same way uh, since. So, so maybe there's something to that. I'm not sure. Have you uh, been back to that place to see if you found any footprints have, or anything else? I have been back to that place uh, a handful of times over the years. Um, it still gives me the creeps. I mean, it's not a place that I, I know it sounds, again, it might, it might sound like a, like a, like a, a ninny or I'm not sure what you call me, but uh, I might sound like a coward, uh, but I, this place just going there, it's, it's almost like it's a traumatic place at this point. And I don't go there very often. And when I do, I just, I don't hang around uh, to be honest with you. I, I have been back. I've never found foot casts. Um, we had a film crew actually uh, from one of the local um TV stations here in Kentucky, out of Lexington, they have a the the um, CBS affiliate, or I'm sorry, the ABC affiliate. Uh, they actually said we uh, we went out with them last. Uh, this was 2020. We went out in the fall of 2020 and and had a little, you know, a little thing out there. And I, I think the guy going into it, the reporter that went, he um, he was not a believer. I'll just put it like that. He did not believe in Bigfoot. But and I told him that, you know, we're going to a pretty creepy place. And he was kind of an avid outdoorsman. He's actually the lead anchor on the Indianapolis uh, ABC News now. Um, but he 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 said, oh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. But even him out there, he, he was acting like, you know what? I didn't really I didn't really uh, believe you when you said this place is creepy. And uh, he said, yeah, he said kind of like you feel like you're being watched out here. And, and that's, I know it's a cliche to say that, but uh, that's kind of, it's kind of how that place is. I mean, in general, no matter how hard or how tough you are, when you come face to face with a six to 10 foot ape, you know, even the most battle hardened warriors and soldiers, you know, <laughs> come trembling from that. Cause it's one of those situations that it doesn't matter how big your firearm is, you know, there's a good chance that it might not do much damage and you're just going to make it mad and it's just going to come after you. It's, you know, people can be as tough as they want, but when you actually have that experience in your face to face, I guarantee you, everybody's going to think way differently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I would definitely, I would definitely agree with that. But yeah, it's my, that's my, uh, spookiest, uh, Bigfoot related story, I guess, if you want to call it Bigfoot. Um, I didn't get a visual confirmation. I heard the growl. I could tell the size. I could tell it was on two legs. But, of course, a uh, skeptic could argue that, you know, maybe maybe my imagination was running away with me. But I I don't know. I don't know about that. But, just, uh, just to uh, throw it out, just because I'm curious also, because I'm sure a lot of people had popped into the forefront of their mind. Um, is it known for uh, bears to possibly be in that region? 
Not particularly. Not particularly. That's what um, I was hoping I for, especially with the with the roar afterwards that you heard. I kind of threw the bear idea out the window with the roar, but I just wanted to verify. <laughs> there are bears in a lot in eastern Kentucky. Um, they don't really, they're not seen as, I mean, they're seen anywhere. They can hypothetically be all over the state of Kentucky, but they're not common in that particular area of the state. Um, I was even invested looking into it one time as maybe it's a feral like boar or um, you know how they, they, they say these are out there, but I mean, that didn't match the story. And I, 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 I looked into just about anything like what could have made this noise. And I just could never, I could never come up with, with anything. I could, I never found another thing that quite sounded like that. And, uh, I mean, even to throw the boar thing out the window, if it was breathing down on the tent, I mean, yes, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exactly. be possible for a boar to do that. Exactly. I, that's what I, I know a lot of investigators are, I've, I've spoken with a number of investigators who are tending to sort of dismiss a lot of Bigfoot sightings as, as that, as feral, like hogs and you know that stuff. And I don't know if, that necessarily matches a lot of the sightings and I would come more to say that it's misidentified bears than, than boars and then feral hogs and that sort of thing. But I've talked to several researchers who are adamant that that's, that's one of the things to keep in mind. So I don't know I, as I said, I was trying to go with an open mind. So make it what you will. Exactly. But, uh, you know, I, I know that you're starting to run out of time here, but, you know, for the sake of you being uh, the paranormal road tripper, if you have, you know, your most interesting paranormal story you'd like to share before you go, I would definitely appreciate it. <laughs> My most interesting paranormal story. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good, a good short, uh, uh, good short. I tell you what, we spent... Uh, my best paranormal story of all, and I just don't have time for it tonight. Maybe I can come back on some time and talk about it. Oh yeah. I would love it. If you came back on, you could even come on my other show too. I would, I would love to sit down and have more conversations with you. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, my best paranormal story, in my opinion is from, uh, is from the Stanley hotel in Estes park, Colorado. This is the, this is the hotel that Stephen King, you, he stayed in himself, uh, in the 1970s. And he was told that he was all alone, last one in the hotel at the end of the season. And they didn't even want to get in the room. And he said, like, well, I got to hire to stay somewhere. I'll give you whatever you want as far as money goes. Just let me stay the night. And they said, well, it's, it's, there's no one else here. It's just you and, and me. And the me was like the guy working the front desk. And uh, he says, fine. Well, then he had some pretty outrageous stuff happen that he saw quite a few other people in the hotel that night. And, uh, he kind of asked the guy at the front desk, he said, now, you told me we were the only two in the hotel. I've seen, I saw two young girls up on the fourth floor, kind of dressed very similar. And and uh, and the hotel manager kind of looked at him and he said, you saw what? And he, and he went on to say, I saw all these different people. And the hotel manager said, well, yeah, you probably did. And he said, well, you told me we were alone. And the guy said, well, we are alone. What you saw wasn't really other Yes, they're kind of permanent residents, and come to find out, the Stanley is like one of the most haunted locations in the in the United States. And uh, in 2015, my wife and I had a chance to stay at the Stanley Hotel, and and it was one of the most paranormally. I know a lot of times these like preeminent hauntings and these things they 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 get a lot of reputation built up, and then there's no way they can live up to the reputation once you get there. Uh, you spend the night in places all the time and it's like they're renowned for being haunted and you come away at the end of the night. It's like, well, nothing happened. 
And I, I've had that happen multiple times on multiple, multiple locations. You know, you stay and you hope that you're going to get some activity and then there's nothing and you're just left kind of thinking, well, is it me? <laughs> you know, or you're left thinking, uh, uh, maybe I picked a bad night or uh, maybe the stories aren't true. But the night we stayed at the Stanley Hotel and we and we've went back several times since uh, because of the activity we got that night. Uh, we recorded, um, we, we, we came away and it's not always recording. And that's the thing about the paranormal, I feel like. You know, you oftentimes, you have all your equipment, you have all your cameras and all these things. I feel like sometimes the best activity is right when the cameras go off. Uh, I feel like that's, it's something I, I often refer to it as the observer effect. And it's a real thing. Science has proven that you can't, that you can't examine, you can't watch something. In science, this is very true. You can't observe something without influencing it. When you're watching, like uh, Jane Goodall, uh, who watched the, the primates in, in Africa for many years, she would even claim that, are they, are they acting like they're, like they're, they're, they would naturally uh, with me watching them or are they acting different? Uh, same thing for paranormal and, 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 and Bigfoot and all these different, these phenomena. I've always asked myself, is the observer effect kind of worship walking there? It's like in reality TV, are people acting the way they would normally act or are they acting different because the cameras are, are recording them? And science has proven that the observer effect is a real thing and nature knows when it's being watched and acts different when it is. I mean, even subatomically, I encourage you to look up the double slit experiment. It's, it's scary stuff. Uh, and science has proven it. It's, it's a real thing in quantum physics. Uh, and I know that sounds real heady and people think, well, what's he talking about quantum physics? But look it up, look up the double slit experiment. Quantum physics has proven that when the cameras are watching particles, like subatomic particles, when you're watching them, they do one thing. And when you turn your back on them and turn the recorders off, they act different. It's fact. It's the most bizarre, weird thing that science has ever discovered. It's the double slit experiment. When you're watching a subatomic particle, it acts one way. But when you turn off the lights, it acts different. And that's why I always, me and my wife have these long conversations. That's why people are scared of the dark. It's not, it's not the dark that's scary. It's, it's what's going on in the dark. It's not uh, the, the, the dark that's scary. It's when you turn off the lights on the world. Science has proven when you turn off the lights, the rules change. That things behave different than when the lights are on and when you're watching. And that's what the double slit experiment's all about. I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. Oh, no, I find it absolutely fascinating. Actually, the other thing that was coming to mind for me, at least, was uh, watch pot never boils. When you're sitting there watching the pot, never boils. You walk away, that's when it starts boiling. Or you get something set up, you know, like a machine, for example, whatever. It gets rolling, it's doing its thing. As soon as you walk away, that's when it has an issue and something malfunctions on it. It's like it knows every time. Like, you see this behavior even in just everyday life all the time. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I love, love getting into the deep conversation. So as soon as you start going on quantum physics, that's like my my wheelhouse. I love getting deep with theories. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I love it too. I I wrote about the the, the double slit experiment and uh, 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 the observer effect in my uh, in my Bigfoot book of all places um, because in my opinion, uh, trail cameras are not as reliable as people would have them out to be. A lot of Bigfoot investigators believe that trail cameras are like the end all be all. Uh, but according to uh, the companies that sell these things, we have like 300 plus thousand trail cameras all over the United States right now in the woods, 300,000. And we're just not getting the kind of great Bigfoot evidence that you would think we would if they're out. I mean, so that leaves really three possibilities. Uh, 
either uh, Bigfoot doesn't exist. You know, that's why these trail cameras aren't picking them up, which I have a hard time believing because I've talked to so many people who've seen uh, this this particular creature. That's the first thing. Number two, maybe we just haven't waited long enough. Maybe, you know, if we keep these cameras out there that uh, for long enough, then maybe just maybe someday they'll finally record something, which still begs the question, why haven't they yet? Or number three, uh, the observer effects getting in the way. Bigfoot knows he's being watched on these cameras, which sounds far-fetched, but there's a, there was a study out of Australia a few years ago, and, uh, and it's fascinating to me. And it basically proves these, this group out of Australia did this study on trail cameras and how effective they are. And they decided that they weren't effective at all as far as nature goes. They say that animals, a lot of animals are keen enough to recognize when these trail cameras are there and they avoid them completely. Uh, for example, they smell, you know, trail cameras, plastic uh, uh, smells, and it drives a lot, of a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of animals away from it. People who touch them and hang them on the tree, they smell. You know, the scent of human beings are on these things as well. As far as uh, the, the, the seeing these things with, the, with their eyes is enough to make an animal avoid them. Some animals have historically. But also, a lot of these trail cameras emit infrared light, which we can't see. I mean, most of the time, I guess, you know, depending on some people claim to have, have be more sensitive to that type of light. But, uh, you know, most human beings can't see infrared light. Well, a lot of animals can see infrared light. Uh, that's just the facts. And if uh, these cameras are emitting these lights in the woods and flashing these types of lights, that might be enough in and of itself to keep uh, to keep uh, these these animals. So bad. the noise of these, you know, if you've ever heard uh, of, of you know, we can hear the high-pitched noise that uh, electronic, the high-pitched whirring that electronics make too often because our ears aren't sensitive enough. But animals can. So a lot of animals it can. So if we're to assume that Bigfoot has uh, good vision, maybe better vision than ours, uh, good hearing, maybe better hearing than ours, as well as a good olfactory system, uh, that in and of itself might uh, rule out the efficacy of uh, the uh, trail cameras. I mean, just going off of how people are versus Sasquatch, I mean, if they're living in nature, they're going to be way more in tune with their senses to begin with because they need them to survive, where as people, a lot of our senses have been dampened because we've gone through generations of not needing them to survive. So we're looking at it from our one single perspective, not looking at it from like the natural perspective of even just like where humans would be if it wasn't for technology. I'm sure, you know, we'd be like most animals or we'd be able to pick up on weather patterns before they're going to happen, you know, more so than just having arthritis and, you know, having like a kink in your knee, you know, or even that sixth sense feeling, you know, like it's still there and lingering in the back of your mind. But, you know, a couple hundred years ago when you needed to know when something was watching you, I guarantee you if there was like a bird watching you you were feeling it just senses all around as people were totally different and you have to consider that sasquatch more than likely is they, they've just if anything they've adapted to just get better and better with these senses because even just evading people you need to be high end with all of these senses too and if they have any form of intelligence then they would know to avoid people and hence why you know somebody shoots at them with a gun once and then they never see them again in that area is because they're intelligent and they pick up on things and they know they know things and they've been around long enough and seen generations and generations that you know, if, assumably they have a language as a lot of people like to talk about. I'm sure that they're passing stories along too about, you know, fire sticks that humans have or the dangers yeah. of what humans can do or the things that humans can destroy. So any intelligent animal in the world knows to avoid humans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's called patternicity. And, uh, you know, primates have been evolutionarily trained to look for patterns. You know, oftentimes people see 
uh, people are criticized for, for, for finding connections and viewing patterns and, and conspiracies and these things. But historically, the ones of us who have found patterns have found uh, connected, like what you've just said, the, the idea that humans, uh, the existence of humans brings, like you said, fire sticks and all these things. People who are keen on those things, they're the survivors, uh, whereas the animals and primates all through history that have not heeded these warnings, they're the ones who end up shuffling off this mortal coil. So if we're to believe that, then we're all like students of, uh, we're all the descendants of these the cautious, the timid ones. And I feel like if Bigfoot is the same thing, that might also explain why this uh, creature is not necessarily out knocking on our doors of a night. Got that right. So uh, I know that you said you had to wrap it up and we're starting to get deep into it. So I know that if I keep going, that I'm going to keep going for a long time, but it leaves it open for the listeners so that they know that there's going to be some more awesome conversation they can come back to the next time you come around on the show. So oh yeah, I would be happy to come back at any time. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. I really appreciate that, man. And uh, with that said, also, uh, I always like to leave with uh, words of wisdom for the listeners. I happened to miss it on the last uh, handful of episodes, I'm sure as the listeners have noticed, but I'm trying to bring it back because it seemed like people seem to really enjoy that. So uh, if there's any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Uh, I've been kind of fascinated by phrase uh, recently, life must have its mysteries. I feel like that that's kind of something that's sort of... Uh, compels me on the idea i mean if what would be what would life be without mysteries uh they're the things that give us hope uh they're the things that unite people together like i said you know groups are combined by are held together by folklore so life must have its mysteries and that's uh it's kind of the words i've lived by recently and that's that i guess for your audience as well keep keep that in mind you know and there's nothing like a good mystery I know I'm always saying too that uh, people have this inert need for exploration. And if there's nothing left to explore, then it's taking away from your natural urge as a human being. So just having all of these things, and like we we're talking about earlier in the show, how they're becoming more popular, it's because, again, people need exploration, they need mystery. And, you know, if you don't find it here, we're going to try to find it somewhere else. But that's what uh, keeps us going, keeps us pushing, and uh, keeps things interesting, man, most of all. Yeah. Yeah. But, I encourage your, your reader or your listeners, uh, if they want to hear more of my stories as well, they can come to our gallery in Somerset, Kentucky, called Paranormal Road Trippers Nightmare Gallery. And I know I'll be uh, making a stop next time I go down to Kentucky. Last time we went to Crypticon, we're unfortunately rushed to going back to work the oh. next day, so I didn't get to stop down, but I'm definitely planning on stopping next time I go down there. So, Yeah, yeah look us up on Facebook and uh, uh, keep up with us. We have all sorts of fun stuff, and uh, if you're ever in the area or any of your yeah, listeners are in the area as well, you can go to nightmaredogallery.net and book a tour and I'll be there myself. I'll take you through the, through the gallery. It's free admission as well. Free admission. We just, we're all about keeping the stories alive. So we don't charge. We have a gift shop, of course, but we, um, uh, we love telling the stories and meeting new people and hearing their stories as well. So. That's a beautiful thing, man. And for all the listeners, definitely go go and get yourself uh, some gifts from the gift shop because everybody needs a little bit of help in order to make things like that free. And if you can support him in any way, shape, and form to keep stuff like that alive, uh, you know, take the opportunity to do so. And uh, for all the listeners that enjoyed the conversation and they want to come and find everything else that you do, uh, where can they come and find you at? Uh, if you look me up on Facebook, uh, paranormalroadtripper.com is also a website that I try to keep updated. It has more information about me and my wife and sort of what we do. Our Facebook page, anytime we're on the road, we we travel on the, we're on the road 
quite a bit. When we're not at the museum here guiding tours, we try to hit up the road. And we're always posting videos and uh, photographs from different travels. We're actually going to be in Spain uh, in a few weeks. Um, uh, we have a, a couple tours. Um, we have a couple of we've reached out to a couple of authors i'll put it like this people who've written their own ghost books and things uh, and especially a guy in sintra portugal and he's agreed to take us to uh kind of like a private tour to a lot of the a lot of the spooky places in portugal so i don't know we're we're a little you know it's kind of intimidating uh to, to meet some of these people that we don't know we're i don't know we'll, we'll see we'll see but we're gonna be posting uh we're gonna post some videos and photographs from that little tour and and uh, other things coming up as well. So yeah, check us out on Facebook on Paranormal Road Tripper. If you just Google Paranormal Road Tripper on or Facebook, Paranormal Road Tripper. Paranormal Road Tripper's Nightmare Gallery is our is our gallery. Uh, ParanormalRoadTripper.net, all that um, will get you where you're trying to get to. So I really appreciate you making the time to come on the show today, man. This is a wonderful conversation, and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Yep, absolutely. Thank you very much. If you guys are interested in getting a hold of me for any reason, uh, you can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Uh, you can also shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the one that I am the most active on. And uh, and everything else, all available on the link tree. Try to make it quick and easy for you guys all in one place. If uh, you guys want to go and check that out, it's L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Podcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. 